seat on the bench or whatever they call it. But there's like this elevated seating situation that has this like wax paper. You guys know about the wax paper? And it's really loud when you sit on it and you're super self-conscious that you're being super loud and everyone can hear you. But you get like acclimated and then you notice that your legs are like swinging which automatically makes you feel inferior to whoever else is going to be in the room. You already feel like a kid. You're already feeling inferior to everyone else. And doctor walks in, says, oh, this is a routine checkup. Nothing to be worried about. Maybe he checks your ears, your blood pressure. And then what does he do? He pulls out this little hammer, which at first may freak you out if this has never happened to you before. But then he comes over with this little hammer, and he taps you on the knee. And all of a sudden, you were like the kung fu kid, and you're like, wah, and just kicking everyone. You're nervous that you're going to kick him because you have no control over it, right? He hits your knee, automatic knee-jerk reaction. That's what that's referring to. But it's not just physical reactions, guys. Maybe you guys, like me, sometimes have emotional knee-jerk reactions. Can I get a witness? Maybe some of us. Listen, I didn't know I had <laughs> emotional knee-jerk reactions till I got married, and then about six months into being married to my wonderful wife, Tori, who's here tonight, uh, six months into being married, uh, it must have been a Saturday night. Tori and I are um, w working through our to-do list for the week. We're like being super productive, getting stuff done, feeling great. I'm on the phone with my dad. I'm looking at a piece of paper in my hand. I didn't even remember what the piece of paper was about, okay? So bear with me. Talking on the phone, looking at this piece of paper, trying to figure it out. Tori, completely innocently, walks up and says, I can do it, grabs the piece of paper out of my hand. And y'all, the fires of Hades rose <laughs> from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head, and I immediately hung up the phone and was furious with my wife. And she just, poor, poor innocent Tori, just stood there looking at me like, did I accidentally marry Bruce Banner? Like, what... <laughs> What is going on? Who is this Hulk I've never seen before? Y'all, I had no idea that was in me. Apparently, some, at some point in my childhood, someone grabbed something out of my hand, and it did not make me very happy because I was furious. That's a knee-jerk reaction. And goodness and being good is when that same kind of instinctual reaction is what loving people is like for us. When we don't have this time to calculate what we're going to get in return, we're not stopping to consider, you know, how do we feel today? How many times have I loved this week? Man, i got to look at my ideal time plan picture and see if loving fits in. i got to look at my budget and see if, you know, loving fits in. No, loving is just this reaction, this knee jerk, kung fu kid loving people all the time. When we see someone in need, we have no choice but to love them. Now, that can be kind of hard for us to understand because uh, goodness is, almost seems impossible to us. Goodness is not impossible for God. Goodness is God's DNA, if I may. And to show this, I, I'd love if we turn to Psalm 68. just want to show you guys something really quick. Psalm 68. We're going to look at verses 4 through 10. And in Psalm 68... The psalmist is writing this poem about God's greatness and majesty. And then in the middle of this poem about how great God is, 
he has this like six-verse section that I want us to look at. And it's so beautiful. Verse 4 says, Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. Guys, do you see God's incredible goodness in this poem that the psalmist writes? Look at some of these phrases. Verse 5, father of the fatherless, protector of the widows. Verse 6, God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. In verse 10, towards the end, in your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. Wherever God sees need, wherever God sees someone who's vulnerable, whether it's a widow or someone who's a prisoner or someone who doesn't have a home, it is God's knee-jerk reaction to love them. He gives unconditionally without consideration for what he's getting in return. He just is love. And I know that love isn't something that's foreign to us, guys. We, I mean, we've been talking about love for six weeks straight, it seems like. But goodness can be hard for us to understand. And here's why. There's so many of us who maybe grew up in abusive environments. Or maybe we've had someone abandon us, someone we cared for. Or maybe we've grown, we grew up in a home or we live in a home currently where we experience some form of neglect. And we don't know what we did wrong. All we know is that one day we were being loved. And the next day, for some reason, we weren't being loved. And love seems like this seesaw sometimes of being thrown back and forth depending on the mood of the other person or the weather or whatever else. Friends, listen. God isn't like that. He's not. God is good all the time. And all the time, he's so, so, so good. And there's no better example of that goodness than Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes to our planet, puts on our skin and bone, dies our death, he loves endlessly, tirelessly. He doesn't stop loving. He doesn't stop to think, man, Am I sure there's going to be good return on investment for this death here? Am I sure I want to die for these people? Am I sure I want to love them in this way to go to this extent? Nope, that's not what he does. And that, my friends, is the gospel. That God is good. That Jesus is good. He doesn't stop loving you. And there's nothing you could do to add one drop of his love to your life. There's absolutely nothing you could do to take one drop of his love away from you. He is good. Love is a knee-jerk reaction to him. Now, like I said, that could be pretty foreign from us. 
We, we are not good. We do not, we're not loving all the time. But as we start patterning our lives around Jesus, as we start patterning our lives around his goodness and him as the source of that goodness, one of the questions we're going to have to ask, guys, same question we've asked for every other fruit of the Spirit, how do I cultivate goodness in my own life? If we're going to cultivate goodness, we're going to need lots and lots of practice. We're going to need 10,000 reps working out of loving people when we know we're not going to get anything in return. And then for you, the vice is trying to impress people. You need to be able to love people when you know it's not going to be impressive. For you, man, you're just trying to get people to love you back and not leave. You're going to have to be able to love and practice loving people when that's not what you're going for. So practically, what does that mean? Let's look at three ways. I want to look at three ways that practically, uh, practically we can cultivate goodness this week in our lives. Number one. Let's talk about cultivating goodness with your coworkers. You're not, you guys are not going to like me for this one. You ready? I, I say we should look for ways to make other people's jobs easier without taking any credit for ourselves. Ooh, that one hit a nerve, even for me. Um, recently, I mean, probably over, a little bit over a year ago, I worked for a restaurant in town as a server. And I saw this principle demonstrated flawlessly. Um, I was working for this Tex-Mex restaurant in town. And if you know this Tex-Mex restaurant, they bring chips and salsa and this other kind of white ranch dip right to your table before you even say anything and ask for anything. And it's amazing. Well, if you've ever worked as a server, you know that sometimes you get in the weeds. And if you don't know what that means, getting in the weeds means a little something like this. You um, maybe had a table, you took their drink order. By the time you finished writing like the last Diet Coke, you look up, the, the, the hostess is already seating your second table. You're starting to freak out. So you go back, you're grabbing the drinks. But by the time you get back out with the first drink order, ready to take the second drink order, the hostess is now sitting your third table. You start to panic. That, my friends, is being in the weeds. And I had a coworker who was an angel at this Tex-Mex restaurant, who in hindsight, I didn't realize it at the time, but in hindsight, she was the leader of the pack with all of the servers at this restaurant. She was the tone setter, the culture setter. She was the one that if she showed up to work that day, you were like, this is going to be a good day. I'm going to have a good day. It's going to be fun. If she didn't show up, not so much. Let's just leave it at that. And the thing that she did that was so amazing and magnificent that is a perfect example of this, is that her name was Candace. Candace was a superhero who would have this amazing vision that at any point in the restaurant, she could see every single table that still needed chips and salsa. And so what Candace would do, without asking, without telling the manager what she was going to do, without asking permission from any of the servers to do so, she would, if she had a second, just have five or six chip bags, uh, baskets of chips, five or things salsa, and would just walk around like, like a prancing gazelle, just dropping chips and salsa off of everyone's tables and getting us all out of the weeds without asking. I 
want to be like Candace. I want to be the kind of coworker that when I show up to work, I just want to make other people's lives a little bit easier. Not for any credit. She didn't get any credit for that. She didn't get a bonus for that. She didn't get anything like that. It was simply her way of practicing love for her team, for her coworkers, and honestly, practicing goodness at its finest. So that's number one. Look for ways to make other people's jobs easier without taking any credit. Number two, with your roommates. Now, maybe you don't have roommates. Maybe you live at home. Guess what? Your siblings are your roommates. I hate to break it to you. Or maybe you're married. I have to say this, too. Your spouse, even if they don't do the dishes, is going to be your roommate for a very, very, very long time. So how do we cultivate goodness when it comes to this relationship? I think the way we do it is that we save some energy for human interaction for when we get home. Here's a public service announcement. Your roommate is a human being too. Even though you've seen them at their worst, dressed in clothes that should have been burned a long time ago, with hair that doesn't even look like human hair at that point, right? Your, your roommate is a human too. They deserve love. And it's so easy for us to come to the table, to go to life group, to practice loving people, maybe to serve our city on, on a city project with our missional community. Man, to feel like we're living these loving, good lives. And then to be demons when we get home to our roommates because we didn't save anything. We didn't save any energy for them for when we get home. If we are going to cultivate goodness, I promise you that home, the home is going to be the litmus test for if you are loving people just because that's what you think is right and because you're going to get credit for that or if you're loving people out of your goodness because your love is a knee-jerk reaction that just flows out of you, okay? It's number two. And number three, with your friends. And this is what I'll say, guys. I think we have, we are in drastic need of people who can forgive each other after their first big fight. I've been coming to the table for almost four years now. And over and over and over and over again, I've seen the same pattern repeat. Two people come to group launch, come to a life group at the same time. They become inseparable. Best friends. The friends they've always wanted. They do everything together. They serve together. They end up working together in the same job. Like one of them gets the other one a job, a job at the place that they work. They're just like Jonathan, David, the best friends you can ever imagine. And then something changes. And it's not really clear always what happens. But maybe there's a little bit of gossip. Or maybe one friend gets invited to a wedding. The other friend doesn't get invited to that wedding. Or maybe, you know... One person gets invited out to the parks for like an afternoon at Epcot and doesn't tell the other friend. And all of a sudden, there's this like bubbling conflict. And let me tell you, your first big fight can be just a series of passive aggressive remarks you make to each other in the hallway at the table. There's just all this conflict that's bubbling up and you're not dealing with it. And you know what happens? Those two people end up hating each other. Speaking ill of each other behind their backs. It's happened dozens of times at the table. Guys, if we are going to cultivate goodness in our lives, 
then our knee-jerk reaction kind of love can't be put on hold when our feelings get hurt. They can, we can't have our love imprisoned to our feelings so that when our friend makes a mistake, maybe intentionally hurts us without thinking or intentionally hurts us without realizing how badly they're going to hurt us, we have to be able to forgive them and work through it. Can you guys imagine what our relationships would turn into if we practice this goodness all the time? Our relationships with our coworkers and our neighbors and our roommates and our friends would be absolutely transformed, like nothing you have ever seen. The closest example I have ever seen of this kind of goodness, this kind of knee-jerk reaction love, something I think about once a week, and it happened to me about four years ago, um, four years ago next month. It was the, the month I moved to Orlando. And for those of you who know my story a little more fully, you might know this, um, but when I moved to Orlando, my family was going through an incredibly rough spot. I mean, it was probably the, the most painful month of my life. And in the midst of moving to Orlando and all this pain and, and family suffering, um, my mom organized a counseling session here at First Baptist. I'd never stepped foot on this campus. Um, organized a counseling session here at First Baptist with one of the care pastors. Never met this man before. We walked in, um, and he introduced himself as Pastor Bill Curl. Now, you guys may have met Pastor Bill Curl. If you came a couple years ago um, to our Love Songs banquet, him and his wife, Lucy Pat, were on the stage doing our Q&A. How many of you guys remember that kind of vaguely? How many of you were there? So that's Pastor Bill Curl. This is the first time I ever met Pastor Bill Curl. And as I walked into this room, sat down at these tables on the side, Welcome, Welcome Center A, and we're sitting at these tables, and, I mean, things are being spoken in that room that absolutely broke things in me, that absolutely wrecked parts of me. To this day, things that still hurt to think about. And all I remember about this afternoon is Pastor Bill Curl sitting quietly. I mean, if you... I should mention, Pastor Bill is probably 85. I mean, he's, he's in his 80s. He is the sweetest, like most meek, nice, I hate to say this, old man. He's just so sweet and tender. And he just sat there so compassionately listening to kind of the family situation that we were going through. And then I remember vividly, um, we're all crying in the room and he's starting to tear up. And very abruptly, his phone rings, which is kind of shocking. At first, I was like, really, Pastor Bill Curl? You didn't have the decency to put your, 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 your cell phone on silent for this counseling session? But he picks it up, and he looks at it, and he says, guys, I'm so sorry. There's only one girl in the entire world that I promised I would always answer the phone for, and that's, her name is Lucy Pat, and that's who's calling me right now. Will y'all excuse me? And he steps out of the room with his phone, answers the phone call from his wife, talks for a minute, walks back in, in the middle of all this pain and suffering, very kindly, very gently, sits back down and says, guys, I hate to do this to you guys, 
but I'm going to have to leave. My wife needs me back at home. I hope that's okay. We look at each other, we kind of dry our tears, and um, we say, yeah, not a problem, we understand. Thank you for your time already. And we hate to ask this, but we're going through a little bit of kind of a financial rough spot. And we're wondering, is there anyone you could direct us to to help us with some immediate financial needs that we have? Pastor Curl, without blinking, not surprised at all, says, unfortunately, guys, um, we don't have anyone that I can pass you on to directly. But I had a feeling that you might need some help. So I got $50 out of the ATM before coming here. I hope that helps. Slides it quietly across the table. Stands up, puts his things in his bag, walks out. Guys, you know what goodness looks like. It's a pastor bringing $50 of his own money to a counseling session just because that's what he does. Pastor Bill Curl was the perfect example of goodness to me because his love for me was a knee-jerk reaction even before he met me and my family. And what would it look like? The band's going to come up. We're going to sing to God about his goodness in a second and thank him for his goodness. The band's already up. (laughs) We're going to sing to God about his goodness in a second. But I want you guys to think long and hard and imagine with me. What would it be like if we dedicated our lives to cultivating goodness like Pastor Bill Curl? What would our community here be like? What would our families be like? What would our church be like? What would our city of Orlando be like? And what would our society as a whole look like if love was this knee-jerk reaction that whenever we saw a need, whether it was the widows or the prisoners or whatever it was around us, we automatically gave. What if the way we approached our relationships was not, man, I really got a way if I can love right now. I really got to save some for myself. What if love was just what flowed out of us? What if goodness was just in our DNA? So if you will stand with me, and as we meditate on that question, guys, I want us to look to the source of our goodness. I want, him, I want us to thank him for loving us unconditionally, unconditionally and tirelessly. And I want to sing to him, God, you are so good. Will you sing with me, please?